Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. Well, you made the time change, so that's good. You're here. Maybe you came intending to make Logos class and Greenhouse kids, but you made it. That's all, that's all that matters. We're glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, if you would take them with me and turn to the book of Acts or your electronic device, um, open it up to the book of Acts. We'll be looking at verses 2 through 14 this morning in Acts chapter 1. We'll also jump over to the end of Luke's gospel in uh, Luke 24. So if you want to put your finger there as well, uh, we're going to read through this section in Acts um, and then we'll flip back and look at uh, Luke's gospel and how he concludes his gospel and how it runs in parallel here of how he gives us the introduction of the book of Acts. And so just so you know, again, we'll be uh, starting here in Acts 1, then we'll flip back and then look at Acts or Luke uh, 24. Hope you had a good week. Trust that uh, you've seen God's blessing and his hand on your life. And uh, we are blessed people. Uh, just uh, being able to go around this morning and uh, greet uh, so many of you. Um, it, it is really a joy to be here and to be able to come together and worship our great God and to enjoy the fellowship of one another. And uh, I'm so glad that you're here, so glad that, you, um, that you're committed. You're committed to being here. It makes a difference. Um, I think sometimes people come into church and they, they come and they think, oh, I don't know if I get anything out of it or I just get a good nap when the pastor preaches or whatever that may look like. Let me tell you, you have an effect on others. Your being here has an impact. And so um, it has an impact on your pastor, not just being here, but, but being able to greet you and talk with you. And uh, so you're having an impact on others as well. So don't take that lightly. Be encouraged with that and know that that uh, we have a great privilege of being the body of Christ together and once a week gathering together. Sometimes it seems like it's a chore. Sometimes there's other things we want to do. Maybe it's the last place you want to be today. God has brought you here, and I'm excited that you're here because I've been praying for you, each of you, that God will give us a word and uh, that he would speak and minister to our hearts. Um, it's exciting for me to open up the word um, I'm trying to still work through this and how to preach. You say, well, pastor, you've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, I started as a senior pastor in January of 2005. And so you would think by now I would have it down. Um, I'm telling you, I woke, woke up and I was a nervous wreck this morning because it's like, do I have, God, do I have the right word? And so get to the office and you're rushing through and just reviewing and like, oh man, I could say this or I don't even have this in my notes. And it's like hours upon hours of study. And it's like, I still don't feel like I'm well enough prepared. And isn't that the beauty of God's word though? Isn't that the awesomeness of being able to come? Yes, I made that word up, awesomeness. Um, isn't it great that we can come to the word of God and it's, there's always more there. There's always more to learn and more meat and more, more oomph that's like, yes. And that's the hard part for me as a preacher because there's so much here that I don't have enough time to be able just to, to 
to give you the whole pie, and I don't even have time to give you a piece of the pie. I'm just going to give you a bite of the pie today, and I hope that you eat it and that you take it with you. Last week, I encouraged you, if you would, to try to read through the book of Acts uh, before you come in each week. And I said if you wanted to be an overachiever, um, to read the book of Luke and the book of Acts. So I'm going to ask, and, and this isn't to puff anybody up, and it's not for me, um, but I, I, want, I just want to see that anybody read through the book of Acts this week or listen to it. Oh, you guys encourage me. Thank you. Anybody read through the book of Luke as well? Oh, you were so close, but that's okay. We're in good standing. That's the way I take it. You didn't need to brown nose um, your professor or your pastor. Um, I heard there was something about in one of the Logos classes about kissing the pastor's ring, but I, I don't know. You, you missed it if you missed that class. So I, don't, I only have one ring, and it's my, the one my wife gave me, so you don't need to kiss it. Um, it's exciting to be in the Word. Would you, would you pray with me uh, before we read and before uh, we dig in? Um, Lord, thank you for the privilege of being here at West Hill in this facility that the church at West Hill has gathered today to honor you, to glorify you, and Lord, to hear from you. Lord, we desperately need you. We can become so self-focused, even others-focused, that we lose sight of our God-focus. And so, Lord, this morning, help turn our eyes back to you. Lord, thank you for the way that you continue to, to tell us and to display and to show us how much you love us. May we, may we grasp that today. May we understand truly um, that we, as your children, will forever be loved and you will always be there to care for us in every need that we have. Lord, as we open up the, this section in Acts, Lord, I pray that you would help us unpack it in a way that really uh, allows us to see your heart and to see how we can live the truths of your word as we go throughout this week and the rest of our lives. Lord, we need to hear from you. May we hear a word from you this morning and then take that word and live it out so that as we leave here, uh, we will be changed and different because we've heard from you, we've met with you, the true and living God. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 1, we'll start in verse 2. Until the day when he was taken up. So remember, I'm going to pause there just for a second. It's kind of awkward to start there. Uh, Luke, Dr. Luke is saying, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach in that first um, writings. That's the, the epistle or the gospel of Luke. And now we are here in Acts all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, verse 2, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, from, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, 
It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and and to the ends of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, whom was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room uh, where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphineas, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, if you would, take your Bibles, and I'll flip back um, to the end of Luke. The end of Luke, his gospel. Uh, We come to chapter 24, and we'll start in verse 36, just to give you a little background um, on this. uh, Before this section that we're going to read, Jesus has appeared to two men as they were walking on the road to Emmaus. He has... Um, he was in asking quest- questions of them, seeking to see why they were so down, um, downcast their appearance. They were depressed. And as they were walking away, he, he um, asked them questions, inquires, and um, they see that there's something about him. He's very knowledgeable. And so they invite him to stay uh, with them to eat. And as uh, he breaks the bread, um, he reveals their eyes are open. They see that this is the risen Jesus. And so they, as they see this, um, they, they rush back and they're going to talk to the apostles. And that's where we pick up the story here. So um, Luke 24, verse 36, as they were talking about, all, about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. Um, That's the apostles and the two men who had come back from Emmaus. And he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat, anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of of broiled fish and he took it and he ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written 
that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them, and it was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So what we see is we see a continuity here, right? There's no conflict in what, how, how Luke is finishing uh, his gospel here and how he begins the second part of this two-part writing um, of the book of Acts. It, it works and it, it's just, it's, it's glorious, really. It's a God thing, how God has orchestrated his word together. So we see here... Um, from these two passages, we see several things working together. And so I just want to kind of talk about that and walk through that a little bit and then kind of uh, give us some application when we walk away here. Um, back in Acts, uh, he says in verse 2, until the day that he was taken up, and then again after he was given, um, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, what were those commands? We see some of that in Luke, to stay in Jerusalem. The command was to stay in Jerusalem. We also see in Matthew that the command that they were going to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so um, the Holy Spirit, uh, the commands through the Holy Spirit that we see um, the first time that, that Luke is going to make an emphasis that, that there is something deeper at work here amongst the Christian people. And as Jesus in verse two is giving his commands, Luke makes it very clear who's at work. It's the work of the spirit, the Holy Spirit that is bringing to attention um, what Jesus is saying. We see it even Jesus uh, with the two men on the road to Emmaus. We see it even as he appears to the apostles in the room. We'll see it uh, as we go throughout the book of Acts. Without the work of the Spirit, we can't see Jesus. It, you, you have no capability amongst yourself without the Spirit revealing who he is and his truths. Without the Spirit's work, we would not be able to see Jesus we would not be able to comprehend his truths. That's why every time when we come to the word, we should ask, Lord, help me to understand it. I know of many of people who read the Bible who have trouble understanding it because they try to understand it in their own doings. We can't do that. And Luke is making an emphasis from the very beginning here, his first mention of the spirit, and he's gonna talk about it a lot, the work of the spirit throughout this book the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Spirit are on the same page, all right? And they are working together. This isn't just separate, okay, there's three different gods, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see a connectedness of what the Father wants the Son to do, he does. And as the Son 
has sent from the Father the Spirit to give testimony of all the truths. There is a harmony. So the, the Trinity, while it is something that those of us who have grown up in the church, we kind of take for, for granted that, that idea, that whole thought. We see, again, this wonderful harmony and picture of our true God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, but yet one God. Awesome. As he continues in verse 2, this, these commands to the apostles whom he had chosen. Again, this is who, who, who Jesus had chosen to, to not only teach and to be with during his years on the earth, but who he has chosen then, it kind of gives a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in this book. These are apostles that Jesus chose. They didn't choose him. He chose them. And in that choosing, he is going to use them to do some great things coming. It also gives us a little bit of foreshadowing of the apostle Paul. All right, because he was chosen too. He was just chosen in a different manner. And so, that, again, there's a little underlying message here that we could easily miss if we just uh, read through it real quick. But I think it's critical and important um, when we even think about our own faith. All right, Paul writes it in the book of Ephesians that you and I, we were chosen before the foundations of the earth. You've been chosen by God. If you are his child, if you've accepted the free gift of eternal life because of Jesus' sacrifice through his death, burial, and resurrection, you are, you are chosen by God. And in that makes you unique and special. You have a special role that God wants you to play in his eternal kingdom. Verse 3, he presented himself alive. Okay, when we think back to Luke and what uh, the gospel of Luke and Luke um, describing Jesus appearing, when he appears, they're frightened, right? I would be frightened too. Here's this guy you've been following for three years. You saw him hanging on a cross. All right, he gets buried, and all of a sudden, he appears to you. That's life-changing. That's earth-shattering. And we see from some of the other accounts in the Word, in the Gospels, there were some who were really struggling with accepting, is this really Jesus? Now, we can take that a couple different ways to think about it. What did Jesus look like? I don't know. Evidently, he looked a little bit different than what he did before because, because evidently they were struggling to see if it was really him. Part of that was, did they think he was a spirit? And he says, touch me. I have, I have flesh. Um, and so in doing that, he's saying, I'm not just a figment of your imagination. I'm not just a spirit or a ghost. I am real. Now, let me pause here for a second and for us to think about something. When Jesus left heaven and in the, car, the incarnation became flesh, that was a move that he made, a decision that he made 
for all of eternity. That Jesus became flesh and is in flesh even as he sits at the right hand of the Father today and will be in the flesh forever. Pretty awesome that our God would love us that much that he would give up as Paul writes in Philippians, that he would humble himself to become obedient, taking the form of man, and Hebrews writes, being obedient even to the point of death. Now, what's different about Jesus is Jesus doesn't have any blood. Now, how that works, I don't know. I'm not God. I don't need to know. But know this, Jesus' blood was poured out, right? Because he was the perfect sin sacrifice. So in that sacrifice hanging on the cross, his blood was poured out um, just as it would be poured out on an altar. His blood was poured out for us as as, as what was needed, the perfect sacrificial blood of a lamb. He was the perfect lamb. And so in that, Jesus in his resurrected body has the capacity now to do different things. He's able to move freely. As he's appeared to the two men on the road to Emmaus, he's breaking the bread. All of a sudden, immediately, he leaves them. They run back. They don't waste any time. They run back to the house where the apostles are meeting, and they're, they're explaining, and there appears Jesus out of the blue. He is able to go through walls. He is able to come and go mainly because he does not have blood in his body, which is fascinating to think about. Again, I'm probably harping too much on this, but I want us to get a picture. This is is the real man of God, the son of man who came and left heaven lived a perfect and sinless life, died on the cross, was buried, and three days rose again, and now he's appearing to his apostles, those who he called, and he's reminding them of the commands that he had given them, and the Spirit's work is helping to reveal to them to be able to see what this picture looks like, that they're for the first time able to understand that This Savior, the Messiah, was going to be a man who needed to suffer and to die and three days later rise again. We see that in Luke. Luke says that that Jesus, as he's teaching them and showing them that all the things, that law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms needed to happen had come true. That he was truly the Messiah. We're going to see here in a little bit. They don't quite get that and understand what that looks like because of their time where they're at in Rome. They're struggling with seeing how does that fit with them as a nation of Israel, as God's chosen people, and with Rome over over top of them. What does this look like? And so we'll look at that in a minute in 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 verses six and seven. But let's keep let's keep digging in here. So in verse 3, he presented himself alive to them and after his uh, sufferings um, by many proofs. So he's appearing to them and he is uh, presenting himself in many different ways. So he says to them, hey, I'm here. 
He says, you can touch me. And then he also says what in the Gospel of Luke? Hey, got anything to eat? And so he gets something to eat to show them, hey, I'm, I'm eating this real food. Now, I don't think it's like an x-ray machine where like he ate the fish and you could see it. Like they're like, what? That would have been really cool. I think it's just, again, to show the real human flesh that Jesus had. And, uh, and so he's appearing to them. Uh, he's making himself um, uh, about the proofs. Um, so Luke says he is appearing to them during 40 days from the time that, uh, that he um, was raised uh, to the time that he will ascend, the 40 days he is going about appearing, um, and ultimately we see in other places in, in the word of God, appearing to over 500 people, showing himself to be real, that he is alive. This is probably the most critical point of Christianity that we have a Savior who is not dead. That Jesus' resurrection had to take place for him to ultimately conquer sin and death. That's what gives us the most hope. That should give us the most joy and the most reassurance as we follow Jesus as his disciples, that this is a man who not only died, but this is a man who rose from the dead, that this is not just stories about him and some um, super cool religious uh, superstition or thing that we could get behind because there's a a few hundred uh, proofs. No, this is a real man who appears before over 500 people showing and proving to them that he is alive, that he is the same man that was put to death. He is the same man who was buried, and now he is alive. It's critical. And he speaks about what? Again, this is important as we look at what is to come. Um, Luke says he is speaking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is something that is here and now, but it is to come as well. And so right now, I believe that we are living in the kingdom. And yet the kingdom of God is not going to, to be fully completed until Jesus returns and he, he rules and he reigns on David's throne in Jerusalem. And so we are part of that kingdom and part of the kingdom work right now. And we're going to see that as we go throughout this book as well. Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And, and which he says, so now we have this quote by Jesus, um, red letters, if you have the red letter Bible, which can I just say one comment about red letters, all right? Red letters are great because they show us the difference in who is speaking. Do not, do not believe for one moment that red letters are more important than the rest of the text. This is the full word of God that we have. And so if you place more importance upon red letters, I think you are doing a disservice to the rest of the Bible. Don't do that. He says this, Jesus, you heard from me 
meaning you've heard it before, I've said it before. Where did he say it? He said it in John. John 14, 26 says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So here in John, John 14, before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, uh, Jesus tells them about the Holy Spirit. And there is uh, a, a work uh, of the Spirit that is already taking place, but did they get it? And he's reminding them what he already said. You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so uh, what's great is in Luke uh, 3, 15 and 16, there is a reference to this same thing. And so Luke is reminding them at the beginning of this letter, just as he recorded in his gospel, that what John did was important in his baptism. But what Jesus provides is a different type of baptism, and that is going to be the spirit that is going to come upon uh, each person. It's, it's, it's huge. It's, it's critical. Um, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So verse 6, so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I, I think the wording is, is important there as we look at the kingdom. This isn't the kingdom of God. Uh, I think they're talking about the kingdom, but they're, 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 they're so uh, narrow-minded, they can't see the big picture about the kingdom of God. They're concerned about the kingdom here and now and what that's going to be look like. Is Israel going to get its land back? Is Israel going to uh, be brought together to be able to worship as a nation because they've been scattered abroad? This is Jesus' response. He says, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. We see that, that the Father has the authority. The, the Son submits to the Father. This is a glorious reminder about how we see, especially as Paul in Paul's writings, how marriage is to look. Submission is a glorious term. Don't miss that. That doesn't mean that somebody usurps their authority in an evil or selfish or bad way. Jesus makes it very clear whose authority this is. It's the Father's. Verse 8, but, so he's going to give them a glimpse of what the kingdom is going to look like. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. I just want to stop there for a minute, and we'll get to the next part. You will be my witnesses. If you actually look back into Luke, um, Luke says, as he is recording um, in Luke 24, verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. Of what things? That Christ should suffer? And on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Here, the charge to these men was to be witnesses. They had seen, they had heard, they had been taught, and what 
responsibility they had as the apostles to have been chosen by God, now called to be witnesses as they spread and as the gospel message will spread, starting in Jerusalem. And that's where this verse continues. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the uttermost parts or to the end of the earth. It says, and when he had said these things, they looked it up. Uh, they were looking on and he was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight. And while, he, while there, they gazed into the heavens as he went. Two men stood by them in white robes. These were angels um, appearing as men, giving a proclamation, saying, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I think the appearance was Jesus was ascending in all of his glory to the Father's throne. I don't think it was just a, one of our rain clouds that came along and was like, hey, there's a rain cloud carrying Jesus up. No, I think it was the glory of God that was around him and it appeared as a cloud. And as Jesus was lifted up, Jesus will return. And we read that uh, in the book of Revelation. It also gives us a glimpse of Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14, we see this picture as Daniel sees the appearance of one who takes his rule at the right hand of the Father. And all authority has been given to him to reign. And so when we think about the kingdom, who's the king? Jesus is the king. He sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning over the kingdom until he ascends back again. Verse 12. So what did the apostles do? They returned to, Jer to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. It's a Sabbath day journey, so not, not real far. It says, and when they entered, they went up to the upper room. Um, where they were staying. And then Luke gives for us the names. He's very detailed. So he wants us to understand who are these who have been called to be witnesses. It says Peter and John, and James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphineas, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. 11. And so with that, that leads us to where we'll go next week into the choosing of the 12th. And so they're going to use an Old Testament passage as they gather together uh, from the book of Psalms. Hey, you know what? There is going to be one who would stray, but we need to replace him. And so we'll look at that a little bit more next week. What do we see in this text? Well, we see a commissioning in verse 8 that these apostles will be witnesses. They are called to be his witnesses ultimately to the ends of the earth. What we see is the call for them to wait. They are to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes upon them. They're found gazing into heaven. But then in response, they go to Jerusalem and they worship. On the way there, Luke tells us they're worshiping God. So quite in contrast with the men who are walking on the road to Emmaus, we see quite a contrast as Jesus ascends into heaven. They aren't dismayed because Jesus has left. It's quite, quite different. And part of it is the work of the Spirit using Jesus' words 
and proclaiming to them, this is what is going to happen next. You're going to be my witnesses and you're going to tell people what the forgiveness of sins looks like. But you stay in Jerusalem and you don't do anything until the spirit comes upon you. So it's going to start in Jerusalem. It's going to move out. And we see that here um, at the end of our text, they're continually in the temple blessing God. What's interesting is this term blessing God, we also see in the early part of Jesus's life when he's a baby, when he's taken to the temple. And uh, we also see it with John when John the Baptist was taken to the temple. There, there is a, a theme that Luke kind of brings in for us here too, where we see the importance of when we gather together, blessing, honoring, praising God. He is the one who gets all of our focus and all of our attention. I've titled today, Waiting for the Promise of the Father. How does this look like in our life? Um, how well do you do in waiting? Um, as I kind of looked throughout my week and my last couple weeks, what I really struggle with, the thrust of a lot of what I have struggled with, been impatient with, is waiting. You get tired of waiting. You get tired of waiting for the microwave to heat up your food. Oh, I got to put it in again? Really? It's not warm enough? Or you turn on your coffee pot and you say, man, is it not done yet? I need to go. Or you turn on the shower and you say, why is the hot water not on yet? For those of you who have instant hot water, praise the Lord for that blessing. We struggle in waiting, whether that looks like uh, very tangible, physical things, or in other ways, at other stages of our life. You may be at a stage saying, you know what? I'm waiting for the right person to come along so I can get married. It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait for that and say, Lord, I'll, I'll trust you that you'll, that you'll give me what I need when I need it. Some of you are waiting to see about your job or waiting to see God work in a family member or, or waiting to see how God is going to heal somebody who is really, really sick. And it can become very discouraging and you can become very overwhelmed and disheartened. The apostles set a good example for us. They continued worshiping God. Even though they didn't know how long it was going to be until the Holy Spirit came, they went back rejoicing, trusting Jesus at his word. Two questions for us as we think about waiting and as we approach the not so important things, but even the really important things of life. One, how do, how do you view God? How do you view God? Because your view of God matters when it comes to waiting. Do you doubt God's goodness? Do you doubt his promises? Do you doubt the scripture that says, I will work all things together for good to those 
who love me, who are called according to my purposes. Your view of God is critical in our daily walk. It is critical in order to help us see and view God correctly, we must continually meet with him. We must continually talk with him and listen to him. That's why for Christianity, it's not a religious duty to just come to church or just to open your Bible or to listen to a sermon. It is about a relationship that causes us to have a dependence upon the one who we place our faith in. And when we depend upon him, when we continually keep going back to him, he reveals himself and he reveals himself to be true. But on our part, we have to keep going back. We only have enough of Jesus for a little bit. And even in that, his grace and mercy is sufficient so that I, if I go through a long period of time where I lack reading my Bible or I lack praying and talking to him, he still has my best in mind. He still desires to want to meet with me and to help me to learn and to help me to grow. The second question is this. How do you view your circumstances? What's the purpose of why you are where you are? Most of the time, we want ease. We want it light. We don't want affliction. We want to try to figure out how best can I navigate this situation in my life and make it as easy as possible. God's word, and we're going to see it throughout scripture especially the book of Acts 2, we're going to see examples. When there is suffering and pain, we can easily look at that today and look at our circumstances and say, God, where did you go? God, why are you allowing this? God, I thought you were good. But when we start viewing our circumstances with the truth of who God is, we start to begin to unpack and unlayer this, this false negative of Western religion. And we start to realize that everything that God allows in my life is for my good and for my growth. Every single thing. So do you view your circumstances as you wait? Do you view your circumstances as something from God that he's allowing to take place in your life because he wants you to grow? He wants you to love him more. He wants you to depend on him more because he wants you to become more like our Savior, Jesus, and less of you and less of me. Waiting is not fun. Psalm 66 is a psalm. We won't read it this morning because uh, I'm overboard over time. But take time. Psalm 66, it is a psalm that gives perspective. And I think it will help us as we think about waiting. As you go throughout your week this week, 
take the truths of God, allow the Spirit to reveal the truths of his word so that you can hear from him, ask him, Lord, I need your help. Man, that's a great place to be because then it allows an opening for God to speak. If you think you have your life all figured out, if you think you got it planned, things are going smoothly and well, God calls us not to a life of ease, but actually a life of dependence, a dependence upon him. And so let's pray and let's ask God's help as we live this out this week. Lord, we desperately need your help in waiting. We are impatient. I am impatient. And uh, Lord, you are so patient. And you are very kind. Lord, the truths of your word are so rich. And they can be so overwhelming at times. There are some that we want to grasp hold and we want to claim and we want to hold dear to our hearts. There are other parts of the truths of your word that scare us or that we want to put on the fringe. Lord, may we accept all of your word. May we see your heart in that. Your desire to have a people who love you, who will call you by name and will honor you with their lives. That's what you've called us to do, Lord, to be living sacrifices. Lord, in this day and in this place, may we be people who will commit to seeing you as you truly are. Finding those truths in your word, not from what other people say, not because of what's happened in our past, May we seek your word and seek that relationship with you. And may we see the truth of who you are. And in that, Lord, may that propel us and move us forward to be able to view our circumstances and our situations with a view that could only come from you. That would come from your spirit revealing to us that you have a greater and a higher plan and sometimes than what we can see. And so in that, Lord, help us to wait, to wait upon you. Lord, you tell us waiting is not just sitting still, twiddling our thumbs. Waiting is moving forward each day as you've called us to live that day, waiting for you to show us what the next step looks like. And so may we be proactive in pursuing you and living out our lives in such a way that displays not only for ourselves, but for those around us that you are truly God, that you're worthy to be trusted. And Lord, may we see you provide in ways as we wait upon you that don't necessarily change our circumstances or our ease, but ultimately it changes our view and our heart and our love for you, that we become more committed. We become deeper in love with you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for the way you care for us. We give you our lives, and we desperately ask for your help to live out our faith and our trust in you this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.